Excellent. So I'll start by saying that to begin with, the risk factors for cardiovascular diseases Mm -hmm. and cardiovascular diseases tend to be way more frequent amongst Africans and African-Americans as a whole compared to non-Africans. So compared to Caucasians, compared to Asians, etc. So we have a couple of studies in the United States that have looked at the prevalence of of these diseases in in, in African-Americans. And I always look at that data and I compare that to the prevalence we, we have in Cameroon, for example, or in Africa at large. And there's usually a huge disparity. Yeah. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. Today, we will be talking about non-communicable diseases with a focus on cardiovascular diseases and maybe including diabetes. Now, when I say non-communicable diseases, they obviously are diseases that don't communicate with you. So it's not like you can feel a headache or you can feel a stomach pain or anything. These diseases do not communicate and they probably show up when it's most likely too late. So we're going to be talking today with an expert and a very good and knowledgeable friend of mine. And he is Dr. Chang Taka. And I just wanna welcome you to the show today. How are you doing today, doc? Oh, thank you, Anyo. Um, I'm doing great. Thank you How very you? much. It's such a pleasure having you on here. And I really look forward to our conversation. Now, let's just go straight into it. Can you please start by introducing yourself to the audience so that they can really understand and get to know you a little bit more? Well, thank you. First of all, I would like to start by thanking you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to be on your show and talk about this topic, which is quite close to my heart. So as you mentioned earlier, my name is Anchang Taka. I hail from the Northwest province in Cameroon. I did medical school at the Faculty of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences in Yaoundé, yeah. um, formerly known as Q's. Worked in Cameroon, actually worked in the Northwest Regional Hospital for about two years. Mm-hmm. Then I worked in Far North, we call oh. it Mada. It's, it's seven hours north of north of Maros. So it's the furthest city north in, in Cameroon. Worked there for a couple of months, then moved over to the United States about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Was able to do my residency in internal medicine, uh, did a fellowship in, in general cardiology, then did additional fellowships in interventional cardiology and, and endovascular procedures as well. Yeah. I'm a board certified in all of them. So I currently work in Atlanta as, the, as an interventional cardiologist. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Just a quick question. How is it in the upper north of Cameroon? Like those are usually the very remote places that you never hear of. Like how was your experience out there and what exactly were you doing out there? Right. So great question. I was actually posted there as district medical officer. <laughs> so it's it's very arid actually. It's almost there's a lot of sand. It's, it's a lot of desert. It's mm-hmm. the area I worked with actually. If you, if you recall the map of Cameroon, the higher you go, the narrower the land is. Yeah. And we actually, to my surprise, there they use they use the the charred money. I forgot. I think the charred people they also use CFA currency. And currency yeah. Okay. And and, and naira as well. So. Um, oh, interesting. Right. They don't so, use uh, the CFA francs? Not like, the CFA franc. They actually use um, Naira um, wow. as well. Right. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That must be interesting. That's probably one of the places that I will never dream of going, but I would really love to go <laughs> up there and really see how life is out there, you know? So... 
Thank you very much for that again. Now let's go to the definition of non-communicable diseases, right? The, the expertise definition, because I just brushed it up like in the introduction. So right. what you say non-communicable diseases are, and while maybe defining that, you could give potential examples. Absolutely. So non-communicable diseases is as opposed to communicable diseases. So when you think about communicable diseases, generally you think about infectious diseases, right? So the yes. things we have most commonly in Africa, because these diseases can be transferred from one person to the other. So for instance, HIV is a communicable disease. COVID is a communicable disease, right? Because one person has COVID pneumonia and passes it over to the other person. Mm -hmm. So those are examples of communicable diseases. And obviously in in sub-Saharan Africa, we are plagued with lots of of infectious diseases and and, and communicable diseases. Now, this is in stark contrast to non-communicable diseases. Now, the non-communicable diseases are the diseases that cannot be transferred from person one person to the other. So they tend to be diseases related to organ dysfunction, either from genetic predisposition, right? If you're born with, for example, a congenital heart disease, it's a non-communicable disease, right? You cannot transfer that from person to person. If you're born with sickle cell disease, for instance, right? Which we have commonly in Cameroon, that's a non-communicable disease, right? So things like diabetes, right? Hypertension and things like that. So in a nutshell, non-communicable diseases usually would be a result, either a congenital problem or physiologic problems. So just an organ dysfunction or from, it could be a combination of risk factors. So if you, you've been smoking for a long time and you end up burning out your lungs and end up having COPD, for example, yeah. Right. So that's a non-communicable disease. Now, as you rightly mentioned when you started, non-communicable diseases tend to be very silent. Right. So you, you tend to be brewing in the background and and then they only show up their heads when you're having a major consequence. For example, you, you only realize that you have a heart disease when you, you come in with a heart attack. Right. Yeah. So that tends to be the situation. So so in a nutshell, that, that's how I find non-communicable diseases. Well, thank you very much for that. Now, let's narrow down our focus to cardiovascular diseases, right? Since that's where you were, that's your expertise, that's your focus. What is the pathophysiology or in layman's terms, what is the dynamic of cardiovascular diseases? Yes, um, thanks for that question. That, that's a very important question. So I think the, the through, I see this, this term thrown out a lot, cardiovascular diseases, and I know it, it's, it's a composite term and it, it can be very scary to think about what what all that encompasses, but mm-hmm. it's actually quite simple. So cardiovascular, so it just refers to the cardiovascular system, mm-hmm. right? So cardiovascular diseases is the disease of the cardiovascular system, is, um, simply put. And so what is the cardiovascular system? The cardiovascular system has the heart on the one hand and the blood mm-hmm. vessels yeah. on the other hand. So cardiovascular, mm-hmm. right? So it's simply put is disease that involves the heart and all the blood vessels. And remember that the heart is connected to all the blood vessels. So it's one network. And disease affecting one part of the system would affect other parts of the system. So if you have blockages, for instance, in the blood vessels going to your brain, all right, yeah. That is what we call stroke. Stroke, yeah. Right? So that's a cardiovascular disease. The blood vessels going to your brain. If you have blockages in the blood vessels in your heart, all right, then you get you end up with a heart attack or you end up with heart failure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a cardiovascular disease, but that's involving your heart. Same thing applies. You can have blood vessels going to your lungs, right? Blockages in the blood vessels to your lungs. That's what we call pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. If you have blockages in blood vessels going to your legs, and it's one of the things I'm going to touch on as we um, evolve in this discussion, that, that is peripheral artery disease. And that's why you see some people end, end up getting amputated. You yeah. know? So, so um, um, cardiovascular diseases, it, it encompasses or it encapsulates all these uh, different aspects in that one, one term. Right. And what are the most common cardiovascular diseases? I know you've mentioned a few, like what are the most common cardiovascular diseases, especially amongst Africans? Excellent. So I'll start by saying that to begin with, the risk factors for cardiovascular diseases Mm -hmm. and cardiovascular diseases tend to be way more frequent amongst Africans and African-Americans as a whole compared to non-Africans. So compared to 
Caucasians compared to Asians, etc. Yeah. So we have a couple of studies in the United States that have looked at the prevalence of, of these diseases in, in, in African-Americans. And I always look at that data and I compare that to the prevalence we, we have in Cameroon, for example, or in Africa at large. And there's usually a huge disparity. Yeah. And what concerns me is possibility of, of underdiagnosis in, in Cameroon yeah. and in Africa. All right. So, so what I would say is, so I've, I've looked into some of the data we have in Cameroon and it shows that as many as five to 10% of people have cardiovascular diseases. Again, when I compare this information to the information we have elsewhere, it's obvious that 5 to 10% is probably an underestimation of the yeah. true um, prevalence of these diseases in, 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 in Cameroon and, and in Africa. One other thing I'd like to mention is making the distinction between the prevalence, so how frequently you find a disease in yeah. an environment and what that what impact that particular disease has in that environment. For example, while I would say that in Cameroon, based on the data, that cardiovascular diseases have a prevalence of maybe 5 to 10%, but guess what? When I talk about the mortality, though this is just 5 to 10%, the actual mortality is way higher than that. It's probably about upwards of 25%. Yeah. Now think about it, just to make this, put, put this in layman terms, just think about this for a second. Most of the people in Cameroon that year of who died of the sudden death. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this person just died. So other than the obvious cases where the person was sick or the person died in a car accident or the person had cancer, mm-hmm. right? When you hear, oh, this person just died, just had some chest pain and died. Most of those cases are actually, almost 100% of them are actually cardiovascular diseases. It's usually a heart attack. It's usually pulmonary embolism. Yeah. And the person slept and died. It's probably mm-hmm. VT arrest and things like that. So I think a lot of our deaths in Cameroon, especially the sudden deaths, are due to these cardiovascular diseases. Right. And thank you for for mentioning that because, you know, we both grew up in Cameroon and we've grown up in communities where when people suddenly die, it cannot just be normal, right? It has to be somebody who has poisoned them or somebody who has taken them into a medicine house and cursed them and things like that. So it's like a lot of people have suffered a lot of victims, not necessarily the dead people, but a lot of people have suffered from the blame of other people dying when they're very innocent. And you know, with our community, sometimes they have jungle justice and they end up killing innocent people for after accusing them of killing other people. But this is one of the reasons why I really wanted us to talk about these topics. And this is not going to be the only episode that we're going to have on non-communicable diseases. Because like you said, there are a lot of non-communicable diseases that, you know, they don't communicate with us and stuff like that. And people have to be aware if you have a relative that dies suddenly, especially you should actually be trying to see what is going on, you know, what happened so that you can protect yourself. And that also falls into the risk factors of cardiovascular disease with diseases, which we will talk about shortly, but you should try to see, and I'm not really sure about the level of autopsies or even like if that's part of a culture in Cameroon, but things like this, are very, very important to know your family history. If your father or mother died from cardiovascular diseases, it's always important for you to know that at least that was a cardiovascular disease so that you can actually take more precaution because you're at high risk. Now, talking about those risk factors, can you please expatiate on that? Absolutely, absolutely. And I would just kick you back on your statement before I answer your question. Among the non-communicable diseases, we also have cancers. Yeah. And though that's not the main topic today, I would hope that sometime in the future we'll come back and talk about that because age-appropriate screening is one of the big things in Cameroon. Yeah. And this goes alongside screening for risk factors. As much as I'll talk about screening for cardiovascular risk factors, such as diabetes and hypertension, on the other side, we'll have to talk about at some point screening for early screening for breast cancer, cervical cancer, colon cancer, etc. Those all fall under the umbrella of, of non-communicable diseases. But just to focus on screening for, for cardiovascular risk factors. So the three biggest risk factors in any order for cardiovascular diseases are diabetes, hypertension, and tobacco consumption. Those three. Right. Across the board, um, you can look at any number of studies. These three risk factors increase your chances several folds, three to four upwards of that times of getting, getting, developing cardiovascular diseases. 
it's actually very interesting when you look at these risk factors because not only each individual risk factor predisposes you. So only if you only have hypertension, that already increases your risk. Yeah. If you only have diabetes, that increases your risk. If you only smoke, each individual risk factor increases your risk several fold. Yeah. Now the effect is even more felt when you combine this risk factor, yeah. right? So diabetes alone would increase your risk factor for getting a heart attack, for example. Mm-hmm. But if you have both diabetes and hypertension, mm-hmm. that multiplies that risk, right? And then the next thing is, the duration of exposure, right? Mm. So what I can tell you, for example, is if you have diabetes, hypertension, and you smoke, over a 40-year period, I can almost guarantee you, you wind up either having a heart attack, having a stroke, or losing your leg, right? So it's the risk factor, it's a combination of risk factors, and it's the period of exposure. So these concepts, I think, are really important because when we try to to, to take care of these patients or we try to screen these, these patients or screen people for risk factors who pay attention to these things. Lifestyle. Because these things, right, these things directly reflect outcomes. Now, let's talk about each individual risk factors because these are the main risk factors. But guess what? These three risk factors themselves have risk factors, right? Right. So, so, so hypertension, the biggest risk factor for hypertension is obesity. I know it's something which we, 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 we overlook in Cameroon a lot. Very true. But most people think that, I, I remember watching this guy, I'm not going to mention this, the name of this politician, there's this politician <laughs> on, on TV, who was, he was bragging on how healthy he is, and it's like, look at my stomach. It's big, yeah. That's what yeah, he said. Yeah, yeah. And, and I laughed when I saw that, because I'm like, oh God, you have, you have Android obesity, that's what right? that is. You're, you're unhealthy, you know? It's, yeah. it's a form of malnutrition, as much as we talk about protein energy malnutrition, kwashoko, marasmus, and things like yeah. that. On the other end of the spectrum, guess what? Obesity, obesity yeah. is a major risk factor. So android obesity is a variant of obesity, which usually occurs in male and very characteristic, a bunch of, of African men. And so I, I, I just, one of my friends went back, back when we were in, in, um, in Q's, and he used to say that he was very slim and very healthy, but he always used to to, to, to wish that, my goodness, I wish I could, I could have a, a pot belly. You know, I wish when I wear my belt, it could sag down underneath my pot belly because, man, that looks that good. That makes me look rich, right? Right, it makes, it makes me healthy. look rich. Right, but, but it's actually the opposite. And, and yeah. I'm bringing up these examples because these are typical stereotypes, you know? Yeah. But th- these are the wrong stereotypes which we, 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 we find common in Cameroon. So, yes, obesity, especially Android obesity. Now, obesity actually... In as much as it's a risk factor for hypertension, remember hypertension is the mother of risk factors, right? Yes. But, but obesity in itself can directly lead to heart disease in the sense that there's such a thing we have, we call metabolic syndrome. This yeah. is part of, it's part of obesity, right? Yeah. And this could, could um, directly affect your, your risk of developing heart disease, cardiovascular disease in general. Now, obesity is also a risk factor for diabetes. Yeah. So guess what? I know this doesn't happen in Cameroon, but with the, the advent of, of, of gastric bypass surgery, right, we're beginning to find out that, well, people get gastric bypass surgery and they, 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 they rapidly lose their obesity. So they lose all of that weight. Mm-hmm. They also lose their diabetes. They tend to lose their diabetes and they also tend to lose their hypertension. Wow. Right? So, so, so we, it has been well established, the relationship between obesity and and, and diabetes and hypertension, these two being diabetes and hypertension being the mother of risk factors. Yeah. Now, let's, let's break down obesity. Mm-hmm. So question is, well, but how do we avoid obesity? I, and I need to answer this question sequentially because it just makes sense when I talk about them in one sitting. So, right. so, so obesity is, is very complicated. And, and I think, I think people, people get uh, this whole talk. I, I talk with patients a lot and and they're always like, Doc, what do I have to do? You know, I'm, I'm overweight. So how we determine that is by doing what we call a body mass index. What, what that essentially means is we, we, we weigh you and we compare your weight for your height. That's what it is. Yeah. And your weight for your height should not be more than 30. If it's more than 30, you're considered obese. If it's more than 35, it's, you're considered morbidly obese. Yeah. Right. And then there's even super morbid obesity, which is a higher cutoff. Now, your ideal BMI, body mass index, should be about 25 so anywhere between 25 and 30 is more or less okay you can adjust for 
for being African, which would be slightly higher, higher values. I'm going to leave those nuances for now. So bottom line is, well, we established that you're overweight for your height. Yeah. Two questions. How did you get there in the first place? And second question is how, how can you fix it? All right. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing about diet comes into play. And I have to have this discussion with my patients all the time. Angela, well, doc, you know, I don't even know. I, I eat once a day and I still gain weight. You know, oh, I eat only salads and I still gain weight, you know, and all of that. So what am I doing wrong? So I always find myself having to dispel this myth of diet because people get confused. People don't realize there are many diets, Yeah. right? Just eating salad doesn't mean you're on the right diet. So diets are customized. So it depends on what your goal is. So there's a diabetic diet, which is a diet for diabetes. And the goal of that diet is not to lose weight. The goal of that diet is to keep your blood sugars under check. Mm -hmm. There's a hypertensive diet. What we, some, some of us call DASH diet. The goal of that diet is not to lose weight, is to keep your blood pressure under check, Mm -hmm. right? There's the Mediterranean diet, for example, which is not a diabetic diet. The Mediterranean diet is a diet that when they did the study, they saw that when people took the Mediterranean diet, they had less heart attacks and less strokes, et cetera. So that's a cardiovascular diet, right? And and, and that that should not be confused for uh, an obesity diet right? Or, or diet to lose weight, which is technically the only diet we have, which is recommended to lose weight is what we call calorie restricted diet, mm-hmm. right? Matter cannot be created or destroyed. So if you want to lose weight, you have to restrict your calories. Yeah. So that is the only diet I, I recommend for people who are trying to lose weight specific. It's always, you know what, and I'm going to talk in terms of calories, you know what, Based on your, your age and your body mass index uh, and your weight, if you eat 1,500 calories a day, right, Yeah, you should lose weight. Because I know that based on your height, your weight, and your age, yeah. your body should require a certain amount of calories per day. So see, say for instance, your body requires 2,000 calories a day, mm-hmm. and I say eat 1,500 calories a day, you're going to lose 500 calories worth of weight every day, whether you like it or not. Right. Right. And this has nothing to do with your blood sugar. This has nothing to do with your blood pressure. This is just a weight loss diet, right? This is based on calories. And, and I can go into more details, but the concept of weight loss through diet is based on calorie-restricted diet specifically. Now, the second concept for weight loss is, is exercise. And one common misconception is, well, I need to work out 20 times a day. You can never outrun an unhealthy diet. I'll say that again. You can never outrun an unhealthy diet. This is very important. Yeah. You, have people, you have people eating 5,000 calories a day easily and trying to work out. You can't work out 5,000 calories a day. It's not possible. Yeah. You know? So I always emphasize first and foremost on the importance of diet and calorie restriction before, we, before talking about exercise because exercise is just meant to, to be complementary. Yeah. And then, and then the last thing is other options. People talk about medications. There's actually not been many medications that have been shown to be effective in weight loss. So I need to dispel that bariatric surgery has been shown to be very effective. We just don't have, I'm not aware of any well-established bariatric center in Cameroon. There may be, but I'm just not aware of it. But those are, those are the tools that we have in terms of obesity and weight loss. So in terms of measuring obesity and weight loss. Now, the last thing I'll talk about, again, I'm still talking about risk factors here, Mm -hmm. right? I already mentioned smoking. So smoking is simple. Smoking, smoking cessation. Last thing I'll talk about is cholesterol, all right? Mm -hmm. So cholesterol, that's that's a very complex topic because so many people think that, well, you know, um, I'm not going to eat eggs because eggs has a lot of cholesterol in it. And if I eat eggs, I'm going to die of a heart attack, right? Mm-hmm. But really, there's been a lot of mixed information out there, a lot of mixed data out there about whether, well, if you eat eggs, that's going to lead you to having a heart attack. That's actually not true. So when you look at cholesterol closely, there's what we call the good cholesterol, quote unquote, and the bad cholesterol, mm-hmm. right? As a good, good cholesterol is what we call a HDL, which in high numbers is actually protective from cardiovascular diseases. Mm-hmm. And then the bad cholesterol is what we call the LDL which in high numbers is actually detrimental and and would predispose you to developing cardiovascular diseases, right? So your cholesterol levels is in part related to 
um, related to genetic. So some people are just born with bad genetics. Matter of fact, this year I, I saw there's a 25-year-old gentleman who came with a heart attack. Wow. Right, 25-year-old. And he had all this, he had a lot of bad cholesterol, very high levels of bad cholesterol. And in those cases, it's very clear that, you know, this is genetics, right? Yeah. And I bet you that a bunch of cases like that in Cameroon where you have young people who just die from chest pain. Yeah. Right. And then you have a family that so many people is like, okay, uh, my cousin died last year from chest pain. Next year, uncle died. And those things tend to be familial. They tend to affect one family. And if the right tests are not done, then these things go undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, those are the main risk factors. There are some other risk factors for cardiovascular diseases. I, would, I could address them later, but mm-hmm. I really needed to talk in detail about these particular risk factors yeah. and how they can be addressed. Now, I've not talked about the treatment of smoking, hypercholesterolemia, that's high levels of cholesterol, mm-hmm. diabetes, or hypertension. I've just merely addressed them as risk factors. Right. Thank you very much for that. Now let's try to focus a little bit on the hypertension and diabetes, because I also believe that that's what a lot of people are familiar with. And even though everybody has to be familiar with all of these risk factors, like the high cholesterol and the obesity, of course, because there's this ideology, you know, there's this slang that's always thrown in our communities, like fatto. Like when they say that, it means that they're like praising you for being healthy and for being fat. It means you're living a good life. But those are things that, you know, members of the community have to be really aware of, right? Because right. I mean, you don't even need to go to the doctor's office to to check your BMI, to know if you're unhealthy or not, if you're overweight or not. Literally, you can do that at home. You can even do that online. You can just do BMI calculator. You just have to have a weighing scale at home, weigh yourself and know how tall you are and just put all the information online. And it's going to give you a number and tell you if you're within the normal limits or you are above the normal limits. And that would determine if how healthy you are or how unhealthy you are and you need to lose weight. Now, let's talk about like the diabetes and hypertension. I just want you to officially define what diabetes and hypertension is because it's thrown out there a lot, but a lot of people don't really know their blood pressure levels to know which one is normal. And a lot of people don't even know their blood sugar levels when it's normal. So what is diabetes and hypertension? Thanks for asking me that question. I I talk about these things without (laughs) defining them. So this gives me an opportunity to talk about them. So just before I answer that question in detail, I just want to see that the reason why these things are not being diagnosed in Cameroon or in Africa is, in my opinion, twofold. One is because there's no known direct consequence. So what people don't realize is that when you have these risk factors brewing in the background, you're going to wind up having a heart attack. Yeah. You know? But if you are in an environment where people are not poised to diagnose heart attacks, right? Mm. Then you do not have the ability to draw a line between these risk factors and the consequence. So therefore, we're living in a universe where um, these risk factors just exist on their own without any real consequence. So people are not really worried about that per se. All they do is they go to the hospital and the doctor says, you know, your your blood pressure is high. Who cares? My blood pressure is high. I have no headache. I feel fine. Uh, Your your blood sugar is high. Who cares? Maybe I'm just peeing a few more times in, in the night, which is just an inconvenience. I've been fine the last, last 10 years. I'm going to continue my lifestyle till there is a consequence. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what, what the issues are. But to very, very specifically define high blood pressure. So high blood pressure just means that your blood pressures are elevated. So yeah. now it's just a matter of defining what the cutoff. So whenever a blood pressure is measured, there are usually two values. There's an upper number and a lower number. The upper number is the, called the systolic blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And the lower number is called the diastolic blood pressure. So a cutoff of 140 over 90 mm-hmm. is considered the cutoff for high blood pressure. And we would like to have those numbers less than 140 over 90, mm-hmm. right? Now, the diagnosis of diabetes is a little more complicated, but it's, it's based on um, your blood sugar level. And, and there are three different things that could be done to make this diagnosis. Either we measure your blood sugar level when you're, you're fasting, when you're not, you've not eaten. And, and this usually should be um, less than 125 based on your skill and based on your particular lab, right? So mm-hmm. normal value is about 75 to 125. So it's the fasting blood sugar. So your blood sugar when you're not eating. So if you're not eating anything for more than four hours, your blood sugar should be less than 125. Right. Anything greater than that, 
could be considered as diabetic. Now, the second thing you can, uh, some 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 um, um, facilities do is is you do a challenge where they give you give you sugar and see how you respond to to a sugar load. And the third thing you, you can do is do a, a postprandial blood sugar measurement, which should be, I believe, le less than 200. Now, one other thing that can be done is measuring an A1C, which is generally more accurate because, and this is what we encourage a lot of physicians to do, because your hemoglobin A1C, what that is, is it's a test, it's a blood test that looks at your average blood sugar over a three-month period, so mm -hmm. to speak. So um, a normal value should be less than seven in yes. general. And, and, and any value greater than that should be considered as diabetic. Okay. Thank you very much. Talking about consequences, right? Like you mentioned, and that was very accurate of what you said, that, you know, there's a lot of people who are, who may be even aware that I have diabetes, I have hypertension, but nothing really, they don't feel anything physical, you know? So they don't right. really have that urgency to be, be very aware of potential consequences. So let's give maybe one or two examples of, a few heart disease consequences. And if you don't mind walking, possible steps that could happen that will lead to those consequences from maybe a diagnosis of either hypertension, diabetes, or obesity, or even all three of them, like the metabolic syndrome, like what could potentially be happening in the body that will, you know, that, that will lead to this consequence to maybe one or two consequences. So I'll start off by saying that I, I tell I tell my patients a couple of things when it comes to, especially the older patients. One is you want to live as long as possible. And two is when it's time to die, you want to die as comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. These two concepts are important. And I think when you tell patients that the, the, they think about, they think about their, their life choices. Now, first of all, living as long as possible. Having diabetes or hypertension significantly cuts down on your life expectancy. Now, if you think about it, if you do your age-appropriate screening, and you screen yourself from, from cancers, mm -hmm. you, you, you take care of your cardiovascular risk factors, you should live a pretty long life in Cameroon because there are very few things that can kill you other than those two. So taking care of, of, of these cancers, mm -hmm. preventing them, and taking care of cardiovascular diseases in general mm -hmm. should reduce your chances of dying early by probably upwards of 50, 50%, right? Yeah. And the next thing is, well, what about your quality of life? And, and how you choose to live this world. That's the other important thing. And, and that's where I, I always describe these illnesses. So take, for instance, diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. What usually happens in diabetes is patients start off by having no symptoms, of course. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing is, well, they get, they get a little fatigue. They start getting very thirsty. They, they pee a lot, peeing so many times a day, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when they pee, one of the things they notice, you have ants, ants that come around your pee and things like that, and they just brush it off, you know. And then they just have this generalized malaise that keeps going on, you know. Yeah. And, and at some point, they, just not feeling good means not right, good. yeah, right, not not just just not feeling good. And then they they eventually go to the doctor, and then they do blood sugar, and they tell them, well, you know, you actually what you have is diabetes, mm -hmm. right? Now the next hurdle is taking care of your diabetes. Right. So if you're able to do all the measures I mentioned before, so taking your medicine for diabetes, mm -hmm. because you have diabetes, you now have a possibility of having cardiovascular disease. So you need to start taking medicine to prevent you from having cardiovascular disease. Right. Yeah. So those are the two things you need to do. And then, of course, lifestyle modification, because you now need to take care of the risk factors for your diabetes. Those are always going to be the three things. This applies to every other thing I'll talk about from mm -hmm. now hence. And so if you do the right things, you can bring back your diabetes and prevent yourself from the ultimate consequences, developing yeah. cardiovascular diseases, such as eventually having a heart attack, mm -hmm. eventually having a stroke, mm -hmm. or eventually having peripheral vascular disease. Mm -hmm. Now I need to talk about these three things because they're important. So talk about the people who don't take their diabetes seriously, right? So when yeah. you don't take your diabetes seriously, now you're fully exposed. It's just a matter of time. You know, I don't think there's any diabetic I've seen who has been diabetic for, for 20, 30, 40 years, who has not been taking proper medicine, who has not ended up having any of these complications. There's literally none, you know. So what are these consequences? Over time, what diabetes, diabetes does is diabetes attacks the small and the big blood vessels. 
Mm-hmm. So in the cardiovascular system, you have the heart and the vessels. So this diabetes attacks not only the big blood vessels, but the tiny blood vessel, all right? So I'm going to talk about the organs in the body. And every time diabetes touches the artery to that organ, it leads to a consequence. So when diabetes affects the arteries to the brain, for example, you wind up having some form of a heart attack, right? No, not heart attack, um, stroke. Stroke. Very common amongst diabetics. Yeah, and the arteries, when you say arteries, it's just blood vessels. Yeah, blood vessels. Thank mm-hmm. you. Just the blood vessels. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. When diabetes attacks the blood vessels to the eyes, you end up with blindness. Yeah. When diabetes attacks the blood vessels to the heart, you end up with a heart attack. Attack, yes. When diabetes affects the blood vessels to the kidneys, you end up on a dialysis machine because yeah. you lose your kidneys. Mm-hmm. When diabetes affects the blood vessels to the legs, you end up with an amputation. Yes. So... For us, it's as important to fix the diabetes by taking medicine for diabetes. Mm-hmm. Is equally, that's one, it's equally important to prevent this diabetes from progressing yeah. to these outcomes. And it's also important to fix the risk factors of diabetes. So a patient, for example, who has diabetes on day one, and we address the underlying reason for diabetes. For example, as a patient who is obese, and the patient has bariatric surgery and loses the diabetes, guess what? Everything collapses like a house of cards, right? Now you're no longer exposed to developing all these all these ailments in the long run. Mm-hmm. Now, when obviously, when you have these patients that show up with, with heart attacks, strokes, or, or a peripheral artery disease, meaning blockages in the arteries to the legs, for example, then we're already behind the eight ball. So we have to start patching of the patient. So yes. here in, in Atlanta, the bulk of the, the job I do is, is trying to patch up patients who have this problem. So I find myself having to go in and cleaning out the, the blood vessels to the legs because I don't want their legs to get amputated. Is, yeah. So this is what we call limb salvage. This is actually a, a major part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Or I find myself having to go into their hearts to clean up the blood vessels in their hearts so that they don't die from heart failure as mm-hmm. a result of of having heart attacks. Yeah. Right. So just to give a few examples. Wow. Thank you very much for really explaining that as well. Now, I, I, I know that, you know, times have changed in terms of technological advancements and the ease of, you know, like, I feel like every advancement that happens in life, regardless of wherever in the world you are, is to make life easier, right? Our, right. our lives right now, are not the same as our grandparents or great-grandparents' lives. Like they trekked long distances just to get the bare minimum, but we have cars. They could not even communicate. They had to send, look for someone traveling to a different province or different state to pass a message. And then they have to wait months before the person is coming back, before they get the response. But now it's just a text message. It's just a click on the computer and boom, it takes milliseconds for someone to receive your message. What I'm just trying to say is like, Times have changed, life has changed, but our food has not changed, (laughs) right? Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have the best, if not the best foods that come from Africa. But then again, these foods may not necessarily be the healthiest food, even if they potentially be, but our lifestyles have changed so much that we're not really the generation that exercises as much as we are supposed to, you know? So it's like, we tend to you know, not really exercise as much, but we keep that diet, that African diet. And especially for some of us in the diaspora, we don't, we cannot let go of our, you know, our good food because we really either don't know how to cook the other types of foods here, or we're just used to what we're used to, which is, there's no problem in that, you know? But then again, we have to find that balance because like you mentioned, diet also plays a huge role to the risk factors of this diseases that you have mentioned as well. Now, what we really advise the African community to do when it has to do with, you know, our diet, especially for those who want to really keep on eating the African, you know, like the high starch meals and all of those things, which are African based, but what will you really advise them on how to moderate that? Good. That's an excellent question. And that touches at the root, the foundation of all we're talking about, because you know what, if you start off by, by eating a very healthy diet, then you're not going to wind up being obese. You're not going to wind up with diabetes or hypertension, most likely. 
and you not wind up ultimately developing these cardiovascular diseases. So we are starting off with the root cause. So yes, so our African dishes are delicious mm-hmm. without a question. And this is always going to come back to the concept of proportions, you know, and specific diets. Now, to begin with, there's no way you can convince the average Cameroonian to be on a diet, quote unquote. Yeah. The very term, the very term diet is very irritating. Yeah. So I would not want to advise, I wouldn't walk up a healthy Cameroonian and say, hey, you, you're 30 years old, please be on a diet. Yeah. People look at you as if you're crazy. I think the whole thing is, I start off by telling people, to I look at it the other way around. So think about your age, think about your body mass index, think about your risk factors. Even if you feel healthy, you know, yes. what's my body mass index? So my body mass index today is, for example, it's it's 35, right? So I'm, I'm obese, right? So what you have to do is, well, you can eat your Cameroonian meals, but you have to start paying attention to your calories. Yeah. So instead of eating a huge bowl of rice, right, which is probably, I don't know, 2,000 calories of pure starch, mm-hmm. right? You may want to eat some jamanjama, mm-hmm. right? Eat a huge bowl of jamanjama mm-hmm. and maybe a piece of kokoyam or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So now you start balancing out your proportions so that on the one hand, you can eat a restricted number of calories while being full and satisfied with what you're eating. So you're still eating flavorable food, which yeah. is tasty, which is voluminous, but which on the other hand is, is calorie restricted, all right? So that keeps you healthy. And then you can also throw in a few things that are healthy that would prevent you from having cardiovascular diseases, right? So right. instead of cooking all the time with palm oil, you can try to figure out how you can throw in extra virgin olive oil, which is one of the components that was shown to reduce cardiovascular diseases. There's some studies that show that you could, you could fish oils could be helpful, but those studies were not as robust. You can start throwing in a few nuts like like almonds and things like that, you know, that would that would prevent you from developing disease. So you can always you can always play around with these things, still eat your Cameroonian meals, but still um, remain healthy. Now, all of this does not apply if you're diabetic, because guess what? If you're diabetic, you have to change gears. And we're talking about a diabetic diet. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you'd have to you have to modify your Cameroonian meals to suit a diabetic diet. And what a diabetic diet constitutes of is high roughage, low carbs. If you're eating carbs, they have to be complex carbs, right? Not simple carbs. So complex carbs, that the, the complex carb, the distinction is that you eat carbohydrates that, that take a while to digest. So okay. there's a steady release of glucose into your bloodstream. So yeah. you don't, your blood sugars don't wax and wane. You know, so yeah, we have all of those in Cameroon. It's just a matter of picking and choosing which one fits your your specific diet. Of course, if you're hypertensive, that becomes a challenge. That's actually surprisingly, that's that's where we when I talk with Cameroonians, that's where you get the most resistance. Because guess what? Most Cameroonian foods are actually quite salty, believe it or not. True. So the amount of salt recommended for patients with hypertension is actually very little amount of salt. Matter of fact, how I describe it is cook your meal, right, without salt, with no salt. Mm-hmm. And then when you have your meal served in a dish, a quarter teaspoon of salt is all you can put in there. That's an approximation. That gives you an idea of, of how much salt you need. And, and so, so many, so many Africans I talk to, they are very resistant to that idea. But unfortunately, you need a low sodium or low salt, high potassium, DASH diet, as we call it for, for hypertensive patients. So that's a hypertension diet, you know. Yeah. So, so the general diet to be healthy, and then you have these individual diets. But we have all of this Cameroon. So you can eat your Cameroonian meals and still remain healthy. Yeah, thank you very much. And talking about Cameroonian meals, you had mentioned Jama Jama before. Just for those who are not Cameroonian, Jama Jama is just vegetables in general, right? So let's try to digress a little bit. Because we, I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but through the years, there have been a couple of very young Cameroonians, Cameroonian, I would say youth, but, you know, maybe late 20s, mid 30s, who have died, right? And they died suddenly. And then eventually we, we came to learn that they had congenital heart diseases, which 
I mean, I'll give you the chance to explain that further, but just for the sake of just summarizing it, it's just heart disease at birth, you know, which was missed. And, you know, I was talking with a friend one day uh, when we had lost a mutual friend to that. And I, I was thinking, I was like, you know, when you look at the amount of tests that are done on a newborn baby, for example, here in America, I don't really recall that intensity, that much intensity of tests that have been done in or that are being done. I'm not really sure how the health system is in Cameroon, but like in our days, like in the 80s and 90s, I don't think that, you know, these were things that a lot of people really focused on. I mean, they just said as long as the baby comes out and cries and it's healthy and they do just the regular checks, you know, but they really did not pay attention. They didn't seem to pay attention to the intense, like checking the organs and all those kind of things. And so that has kind of caught up to us because, you know, if you have a defective heart and as you grow, the heart grows, right? So eventually your heart gets very stressed out and then you have like a sudden death or something like that. So can you just basically walk us through on the kind of checks that are being done in Cameroon for us to really highlight the need of certain things to be done and also the pathophysiology or the dynamics of what may have happened through the year to lead to that event of sudden death. True. So before before answering that question, you know you don't need to go far. Mark Vivian Foy died on 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 the on the field from long QT syndrome, which appears to be, which is actually a congenital problem. Wow. So the question to you is how does a football superstar live his entire life, have all the the quote unquote medical exposure and still die from a congenital disorder on the football field yeah. you know so that, that 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 alone explains all the cracks and faults we have in uh, in our medical system in Cameroon especially when it comes to preventive medicine but let, let, let's go to to childbirth here for a second but when the baby is born um there are two there are two groups and I'm not going to talk about when the baby is in the womb and when babies born, there are two groups of congenital illnesses or congenital heart diseases. They are the groups that are the congenital heart diseases that are immediately identifiable, right? Which are overt. So the child comes out and you're like, oh my goodness, there's something wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. These ones are the ones that can be caught easily. These ones are rare. And these ones, usually we don't have the ability in Cameroon to take care of these kind of congenital diseases. There are a bunch of them. I'm not going to go into them, but these ones tend to what we call cyanotic congenital heart diseases. So what that means is that although the baby's breathing, because of the way the heart is structured and because of that abnormality in the heart, it could be a hole in the heart, for example, the, the, blood, the, the blood which is poor in oxygen, which is low in oxygen, mixes up with the blood which is rich in oxygen. And so the, the baby, though breathing, is incapable of having enough oxygen in their blood going to the organs because you have this mix up of low oxygen mm-hmm. blood and rich oxygen blood, mm-hmm. you know, and the baby appears bluish. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call cyanotic. So, okay. so you do have these babies that are born and then when you see them, you're like, oh, something is wrong. All right. These ones tend to be tend to be obvious and that, that's just one example I gave. Now yeah. you have the, the the congenital heart diseases which are not obvious. Most of the congenital heart diseases which are not obvious tend to be either structural problems in the heart which are small. So when they're born you have maybe have a small hole right or you have a defect in the heart that gets worse with age. But when the baby is born it's not immediately obvious you know and then the second group is electrical problems in the heart. So a bunch of electrical problems in the heart that just go silent. The typical example is long QT syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of long QT syndromes. This particular one bothers me because the, these long QT syndromes tend to be tend to be in, inherited and they tend to be familial. So mm-hmm. I bet you that in I, I'm, and this is this is just a guess, but Bob Vivian Fui's family probably has seen some other person die from a similar consequence from a similar problem. So they, they tend to occur like that, where a couple of people, you get this person's cousin drop dead and the person, then that's what happens, you know? So the big question is, but how do we catch these congenital heart diseases at birth? You know, um, that's the question. Now, it all starts with the physical exam. Easier said than done. You know, if you are at Fondation Chantal Bia in Yaoundé, uh, you, could, you, could, you could put in a protocol that would work. You can, you can institute a protocol that when the baby is born, you need to put your stethoscope on their chest 
and listen to their heart sounds because that's the most important thing. These heart sounds give you an idea. You know, mm-hmm. if you get an abnormal heart sound, then you can do an echo of the heart. An echo is just simply putting a probe on it, on the baby's chest and looking at the chambers of the heart so you can see how the heart is structured. And mm-hmm. if there are any holes or there are any defects, you can catch them. You know, if there are any questions, you can go on and do the test anyway. You know, I, I said easier said than done because I, I spent most of my life in, in the Southwest and the Northwest. And I, in, in, my, in my mind, and in, in Yaoundé, in my mind, that was the definition of Cameroon. I thought that was Cameroon, you know, till I traveled to the far North. Wow. So, so, so it's a huge part of Cameroon from, from, from the small world we live in, in the Northwest, Southwest, Littoral and Center, and, and all the way past Adamawa to the far North. All, that, all those areas are underdeveloped. Now, when, when I went to, to Marwa and I was asking myself, I'm like, my goodness, think about trying to put in protocols, basic protocols for things like this. It's just out of the question. Yeah. You know? So some of these things, we talk about them. They seem simple. They seem affordable. But if we have difficulties doing these things in major cities like Yaoundé and Douala and Limbe and Pamenda, then what more of, of Mada? or, or, or um, yeah. Sabongari, or I can go on and, and so forth and, and, and name places. So I think um, catching these congenital heart diseases starts with a well-established protocol at birth where these kids are systematically examined and the kids that have to have heart echoes or ultrasounds, they get echograms or ultrasounds of the hearts done. And these diagnoses are made at an early stage then patients, the babies can then be referred for surgery and the appropriate surgery is needed. Now, other cases are a lot more difficult. The ones that do not reveal themselves at birth, typical example is long QT syndrome, mm-hmm. right? These ones, of course, you have to go based on a lot of things. You have to go based on family history and a lot more, more things, right? And, yeah. and especially the family history, which most of us have no in Cameroon. Yep. And so these patients can have additional screening during their, their lifespan so that these things can be picked up. Yeah. And emphasis on additional screenings because a lot of people back home, home as in, in Africa as a whole, it's not even, it's not really part of our culture to do all of these wellness checks because these wellness checks will include those additional screenings, especially if you have any kind of risk factors like a familial history and stuff right. like that. So I feel like that's one of the things that I really have to work hard at, at sensitizing members of our community about the importance of wellness checks. Prevention is always better than the treatment or better than cure. If you prevent something, it's going to save you a lot of hardship, financial, emotional, mental, physical stress, you know, than trying to treat that disease, which is very important. And that brings us to our last question. Like, what will you advise members of our community on how to be more aware of these diseases that don't communicate with you or these non-communicable diseases and cardiovascular diseases and just focus on living a healthier life? Absolutely. You know, this is, I think it's, it's, this is an apt or an appropriate last question. It, it, it would enable me to, to give my final thoughts on the subject and in, in view of maybe making changes that would be impactful to our community in Cameroon. So, you know, I, I think it has to be a multi-faceted um, approach. I think every, every, every hand on deck, the government has to make a conscious effort to um, make healthcare accessible for all. Yes. So I can talk from today to tomorrow about screening kids when they're born, screening for diabetes, and I can talk about all these things. You know, you look at the national programs in Cameroon, which have done relatively well, things like the program for tuberculosis yeah. or rollback malaria, you know, programs, national programs like that, which have done relatively well, is because those are organized programs Mm-hmm. by the government, which have been helpful, mm-hmm. you know, and the program for vaccination, for example, that's a good, that's a good, good example mm-hmm. where, where we, we have demonstrated that if we go to the smallest health centers and make these vaccines available and educate the population, when mm-hmm. a kid is born, the kid, this is the vaccination calendar. We have demonstrated that we're able to do that. Yeah. The question is, why can't we do the same thing for other diseases, you know, for non-communicable diseases? It's an issue of prioritization and will. True. So I think if the government came out with a, with a national strategy to address non-communicable diseases, right? Mm-hmm. And this, we're not only focusing on kids here, we're focusing on adults, right? 
that every adult had to have one wellness check once in two years or every year, why not? Yeah. And during this wellness check, these risk factors are addressed for hypertension, diabetes, mm-hmm. and ultimately for cardiovascular disease. That age-appropriate screening is done. Yeah. Right? So you have your age-appropriate screen for colon cancer, um, um, all the other cancers, breast cancers, etc. Then we would significantly cut down on on um, or increase our life expectancy in Cameroon. I believe strongly that that's, that's possible. It's a matter of political yeah. will to start off with. Now, from an individual perspective, you know, so the problem with this part is, you know, people in Cameroon don't necessarily worry too much about diabetes, you know. Sure. They, they don't, so many people are not convinced that diabetes is dangerous, you know. So, I mean, they, they are not motivated to, to take their diet seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, so I think, again, we fall back on the aspect of education. And then once the people are educated, it's now about especially um, focusing on, 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 on getting a, um, a healthy diet. You know? So those are the things that I think are important. Now, finally, from a physician perspective, I, I as well as a few of my other colleagues here, we, we have been talking about going to Cameroon at some point and then joining the workforce, joining our hands with other physicians in Cameroon to, to not only educate the population, but um, address some of these cardiovascular issues. We have the opportunity to, to go back with some of our equipment here and, and um, make some of these diagnoses, um, be it early, mm-hmm. earlier on for prevention or later on for treatment. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at that as well. I think that we all put our hands together. We should be able to make a meaningful change. Um, in terms of preventing and treating these non-communicable diseases. Yeah, that's very true. And that's such a great initiative that you guys are planning to do. And it's definitely going to have a great impact on the community. And one thing I wanted to just add lastly is the importance of us having these conversations amongst our circles. One thing I've noticed is that a lot of members of our African community don't know their family history. And some of them don't even care to know. And also other people don't care to share. You know, it's just this very, very false ideology that we have amongst ourselves that if you are sick, if you have been diagnosed of something, you hide it from your family or you hide it from your loved ones because you don't want your bad belly people or your haters to, to pray for your demise. Or you just don't want to bother people. You don't want to be a stress to, to anybody, you know, but that actually is causing more harm than good. Because if you, if we can all get together with our families and share our family history, like, I mean, for those who are here in the diaspora, whenever you go to the doctor's office, that's one of the main questions. Do you know your family history? Has anybody in your family ever had this? Or that contributes greatly to a risk factor for whatever disease you're trying to be diagnosed for or to check for. So it's very important for us to have these conversations, to share our family history. Mothers and fathers, go out there, talk to your children, talk to your brothers, talk to your sisters. Hey, I have this diagnosis. The doctor told me I have hypertension. The doctor told me I had diabetes. The doctor told me I'm at high risk for heart problems. You know, just let them know so that they can in turn take that precaution or at least be knowledgeable enough to know and understand that if my father or mother suddenly dies, at least I can know that maybe it was because of this. If Because I know autopsies are not really part of the culture back home. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're dead. Just let them die. You don't have to bother them and open up their body and try to look at things here and there. But at least having that pre-knowledge, you know, can really go a long way at wellness in general. So I don't know if you have anything to, any last words before we wrap up. <laughs> no, I'm not, not really. I think I, I spoke, I, I spoke on, on a lot of what, what I wanted to speak of. Um, I, I hope that, first of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about, again, providing this platform for us to have this discussion. Thank you. And hopefully we, we have more time in, in the future to talk about each individual cardiovascular disease. Sure. Because as I mentioned earlier, my biggest problem is, is in Cameroon in particular, most of these diseases are not diagnosed. Yeah. Almost virtually all my family members who have been diabetic have lost a leg. Mm. You know, things like that are not supposed to happen. Yeah. We actually do have technology to prevent these things from happening. We have a bunch of people who have had heart attacks and have died from heart attacks and they've not been diagnosed of that. You know, they've had warning symptoms of, of these, these, these things coming up, but were never picked up early. So 
thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. And I hope that we have some more time in the future to address these things. Definitely. This is not the last time you will be on this platform for sure. And I just want to thank you for sharing your voice, your expertise, and your advice. And I hope that the conversation doesn't end here. I hope that our audience can take these conversations and, you know, it sparks further conversation amongst your circles. And I just can't wait for us to further discuss about all of these things that will educate and sensitize members of our community. So I want to thank you once more for coming on and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.